Good morning, friends. It is good to be with all of you this morning. The fact that you are here on Labor Day weekend means one of two things. One, you either hate camping, or two, you don't have a friend who's got a nice timeshare in the mountains. So maybe there's a third option. Maybe you just love what's happening so much in this church. You just don't want to miss a Sunday. We'll go with the latter. How about that? Regardless of why you are here, I'm just glad you are here, especially if it's your first time with us, or maybe first time in a long time. Uh, we are excited that you're here, honored by your presence. It's been fun writing letters and calling folks up who are visiting and coming back to this church. Uh, great to have you. Great to have you as a part of what God's doing in this place. Uh, speaking of what God's doing in this place, several weeks ago, Ryan made mention of this, but we unveiled and kind of unleashed, if you will, something called the power of one. And what that is, it's just our ministry focus, our ministry theme for the year. Um, if you haven't seen that, haven't heard anything about that, grab a magnet at the Welcome Center, go online, look at the website, find out what's going on with the power of one. Let me go through these with you real fast. We just believe so much in them that we want to remind you as well as tell you as God illuminates all that is happening. Literally, sorry, the lights just came on up here. But the seven things we're asking you to do, the first is to give one. First is just a dollar, just give an extra dollar. As you leave this place, there'll be some bins in the back, pop an extra dollar in that place. What we do every week is the next Monday, we take all those dollar bills and we give them to a family in need right here in our church or in our community. If you wanna give more than just a dollar, we ask that you give 1% more of your overall income to the ministry of this church. We're on the move, good things are happening. We'd love to have you on board, some more resources. In addition to that, you could also give a one-time gift to this church to help position us for the second half to get us ready to go. In addition to giving one, we're asking that you will donate one. That's our second one in the Power of One series. This month, it's an item. It's a food, a canned food, if you would. Dry good. Uh, bring that to the church over the next couple of weeks. We will restock our shelves and then partner with Light of the World to feed the hungry in our community. So you can give one. You can donate one. In addition to that, we're going to ask you to memorize one. One scripture a week or a month. I, I was going to do a week, and then I had trouble memorizing it in that week, so I gave us a month. A month for Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Half of it says one, so it's easy to memorize that half. The second half is a little bit more difficult. But take some time and memorize the scripture. We believe in the power of God's word in this place. We want it to be implanted firmly within us. From there, we're going to ask you to reserve one. And that means taking an hour a week to unplug and disconnect from the world and to spend time in a spiritual discipline, to spend time with the Lord, before the Lord, and maybe with your family. We're also going to challenge you to commit to one, commit to serving this church once a month. Hopefully last week at the ministry fair, you found a bazillion ways to do that. But we want you to put your faith into practice and serve this place at least once a month. We would love for you to invite one. That's our sixth one. Invite someone once a month to what's happening in this church, to something that they can come along with you, next to you, and attend and see what's happening. And then from there, we're going to ask you to bless one. Choose a neighbor family member, a friend, a coworker that you're going to invest in and bless over the next six or seven months or so. Get to know their name, get to know their family, remember their anniversary, take them out for lunch, mow their grass, watch the kids, walk the dog, any combination thereof. Bless them, serve them, find a way to be Christ to them. 
Uh, let me brag about how that's going so far. Each week I get to hear some cool stories about what's going on through the power of one. You don't get to hear all of that. So I just want to brag. Two weeks ago we had over $700 that we gave to a family right here in need. Last week we collected over $500 that we sent to our extended family in Peru to help with some costs that they have there. I'm excited to see how much we get this morning in those $1 bills. We have a family ready tomorrow morning. Ryan and I are excited. Okay, maybe it'll be Tuesday morning. We'll wait. But... Uh, from there, last week we received over $15,000 in one-time gifts for this church. And I was busy writing thank you notes all week, and I love that problem. And in addition to that, last week we had the largest general offering we've had in over three years. And so just thank you, church. I mean that. It's hard to talk about money. I don't want you to think that we're only after your money. But we need it. These costs and this all costs, and more importantly, the stuff we want to do outside of these walls. Cost. And so thank you for what you're doing. God is on the move. All right, let me say one more thing real fast. This isn't even the sermon. You're getting two for the price of one today. <laughs> the power of one. God doesn't want things from you. He wants you. Right? He wants your heart. He wants to have an intimate relationship with you. He wants to walk in, in a really close connection with you. And that means you, you, you talk to him throughout the day and, and you listen to his whispers and you just see things the way that he sees it. It means you kind of giggle and laugh with him. You just have a really special connection. And so we don't want the power of one to become a new list, a new set of laws. This is not how you please God or even please us as a church. God is pleased with you already. Oh, he loves you to death, literally. And so he wants you to know that nothing you could do could separate you from that love. The power of one is just the way that we're trying to give you uh, some, some ideas as to how to express that love. Right? You ever seen love languages? Like, I don't know exactly how to show my wife that I love her. I love golf equipment, but I'm not sure that would work for her. I need some ideas. The power of one is just a set of ideas. How can you express your love for God? Or what are some ways you can grow in your faith and development with him? So don't see this as a burden. Don't see this as a set of laws. Don't see it as a new checklist. Paul got mad at a lot of churches for having a Jesus plus a checklist. It's just about Jesus. So we hope that the power of one will help you with that. Does that make any sense? Not sure if I needed to say that, but, but I did anyway. Okay, let's pray and talk about some sacred letters. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for everyone who is here this morning. We come... And we're all in need of something. You know what that is. Would you come and provide it for us? Is it a word? Is it an affirmation of love? Is it some power from on high? God, what is it? Would you give it to us this morning? Come down like you did at Pentecost and move and speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We started a new series last week called Sacred Letters. And we're looking at the red letters in our Bible, the words that are typically associated and connected to Christ because we believe that Christ's words matter far and above and more than any other words that are out there. Because in addition to a lot of other things, he took on temptation and the devil. He stood toe to toe and he came out pure on the other side. Unlike many of us, we give in to the temptation. So Jesus speaks into our life because he's greater than temptation. He's greater than the devil. But even more than that, he's greater than death itself. The one thing that we're all afraid of, the one thing that we look at with trepidation and kind of shirk away from, death, Jesus says, don't worry about it. I went through it and I've lived to talk about it. And you will too when you're in me. And so we listen to, we read these red letters because they come from someone whose words matter. Amen? Let's look at a few of those words this morning. Have you ever found yourself acting differently because someone important was about to come over? Or maybe a special event was about to take place? Uh, maybe it was the beginning of school, right? You go from summer mode, 
You don't care at all how you look or how often you showered or what your hair looks like or if your clothes match. First day of school, every hair perfectly in place, right? The outfit matches just perfect. Maybe it was in anticipation for the big game. Maybe you sleep with your batting gloves on or you listen to Katy Perry's Eye of the Tiger a thousand times. First service had no idea what I was talking about, so I did Queens, We Are the Champions. But you want to be ready. Maybe you sit in silence. Maybe you sit in contemplation. You know something big is about to happen. And so you prepare yourself. Or maybe it's the week before the big dance. You go from being an incredibly immature video game dweeb to suddenly being a ladies' man. Got some serious game. Some serious swag. Anyone relate? Or maybe I just made a complete fool of myself as I told you what my high school years were like. But I imagine many of you know this feeling. You know what it feels like to act differently, to do things differently because something important is about to happen. Someone important is about to come around. You know what it feels like to start doing all your chores because, oh no, Christmas is just around the corner. You know what it feels like to suddenly be more productive because the boss is coming and promotions are being handed out. You know what it feels like to clean the house in anticipation of the in-laws coming over for the first time. It's what happens on a grand scale every time the Olympics come through a city, isn't it? Or every time the queen goes through Europe. They prepare. They get themselves ready because something big, someone important is about to show up. And I think that's exactly what Christ wanted to convey when he said what he did in Matthew chapter 4. Let me read to you a couple of passages and we'll unpack them together. Matthew 3 starts off this way. Verses 1 through 6 talk about John the Baptist as a precursor to what Jesus was going to do. And in Matthew 3, let me find it here, it says this in verses 1 through 6. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And let me read this in Matthew chapter 4. It says about Jesus himself. He comes in, beginning in verse 12, and says this. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he departed to Galilee and dwelt in Capernaum. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's understand what's going on here. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, goes ahead of Jesus. He's kind of his precursor, his appetizer, if you will, and he sets the stage. He makes a way for Jesus to come. He basically tells folks, get ready, Jesus is coming. And the way that he tells people to get ready is through a simple sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then once John gets thrown into prison, because people don't like that message so much, John upset the religious leaders and the, the politicians of the day. So we got thrown into prison. And once Jesus hears about that, he said, that message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that's too important to have that die with John. That can't stay in the cell with John. So Jesus takes it upon himself, and his first sermon is, guess what? John's last sermon, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I'm not sure what the first audience heard or thought of or envisioned when they heard those words, but I imagine I have a pretty good understanding of what you're thinking of when you hear that word, repent. These are the images, right, that come to mind 
when we hear of the word repent. For us, repentance, go ahead and put that up for me, Tristan. These are images of street preachers, right? Overzealous Bible thumpers, condemning bullhorn carrying guys, buses labeled repent or burn. Right? For us, we hear the word repentance and images of hell and condemnation come up. We envision someone screaming out and accusing innocent passerbyers, you're a sinner, repent or else. And that is such a shame, church, because this message, this little sermon, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is one of the most beautiful, one of the most powerful in all the word. And yet we lose it because this is what immediately comes to mind. See, when Jesus calls people to repent, he doesn't do it with the intention of making them feel bad. Jesus doesn't want to make you feel horrible for what you've done or who you've become. His message of repentance is not one of condemnation or hatred or even a rebuke. Look at what the Bible says in Isaiah 42.3. A bruised reed God will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You see, God is gentle. He is loving. He is careful. He is considerate. And even though these analogies might not make a whole lot of sense to us, we are weak, we are broken, we are fragile, aren't we? And some of us, if we heard a message of condemnation right now, you're bad. This is what you've done wrong all week long. If you heard that message, that would be it, wouldn't it? You would just snap. I mean, the last thing I need this week is a message of hatred thrown on me. The last thing I need to hear this week is how messed up I am and how bad I've done. Or, or, or the consequences that I deserve, the punishment that I deserve. And God doesn't want to break you. He doesn't want to snuff you out, even if you're just barely holding on. And so this message has to be read, read in light of Isaiah 42.3. We have to read his words in light of this passage. So Jesus, when he tells people to repent, he's not doing it with a, an indignant, angry spirit. He's doing it with an invitational spirit. He's inviting us Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's actually an invitation. It's not a threat. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a call to come back. It's not a curse or a condemnation. The best way to think about it is in terms of street signs. A friend of mine posted this picture on Facebook just last week out in SoCal. SoCal is how all the cool kids say Southern California. So if you really want to sound cool, just say SoCal. I mean, see, I'm so cool, aren't I? So, Here's a street sign that he took a picture of. This looks absurd, does it not? This is crazy. Now, I haven't been to downtown Denver, but I pray you don't have anything like that down there. But in Santa Monica, Venice Beach, these are common. These are all over the place. One week, we decided to go out to eat at the, at the best Italian food place on the planet down in Venice Beach. Their garlic knots are a gift from God. And I've yet to find that gift in Denver. But we are ready to go eat at this Italian food place. And we pull up. We're ready to park several blocks away, right? Pay for parking away down the street and walk with all the girls and all their stuff. God parts the seas and a parking spot right in front of the restaurant opens up. I pull in, super confident, super excited. Then I see something like this in the parking spot that I pulled into. I put the money in the meter and I try to make sense of this convoluted mess. As best I can tell, the sign says, you can only park here between the hours of 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., check. Only on weekdays, check. Only if your last name starts with a letter in the first third of the alphabet. Only if the breeze is coming out of the east. Only, only if you can grow hair more easily on your face than on your head. Check, check, 
Check. I'm good to go. I meet all the requirements. Long story short, you know what happens. I come out after dinner. What do I have on my windshield? A ticket. Lo and behold, I missed the set of signs that said, this spot is a loading zone on Friday afternoons from 530 to 7.30 on odd, odd months when the moon is full and the temperature between 70 and 75. I thought it was 76 outside. But normally I hate street signs. Normally I am thoroughly confused by them. I think that they're silly and ridiculous and should be banished. And yet there is one sign that I actually love. Oh, I love to see this one sign, and it's this. I don't know if you've seen this one before, but this is like manna from heaven for me. If you don't know anything about me, you know that I, I get twisted up and, and, and lost pretty easily, especially in two places, suburban neighborhoods and the mall. Don't ask me why, but don't have me lead you in either of those two places. And yet when I see this sign, I know there's hope. When I see this sign, I know that even though I've messed up, even though I'm going the wrong direction, even though things are not the way they should be, I have an opportunity in this moment, at this intersection, to turn around. I can make a U-turn. It's okay to go back. See, when I see this sign, I don't think, woe is me, I am a man undone, I am lost. <laughs> Hopefully you don't feel that way either when you see that sign. When I see this sign, I think, oh, phew. It's okay to turn back here. It's okay to go back here. This is the message Jesus wanted you to hear when he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't want you to think you're horrible, you're despicable, you've done atrocious things that God wants to punish you for. He just wants you to come on back. You've been going down the wrong road, and this is the place, this is the time where you can turn back. See, I hear Jesus basically saying, you've made a few wrong turns. You're headed in the wrong direction. Your life is getting off track. Maybe it's your actions. Maybe it's your apathy. Maybe it's your attitude. I don't know what it is, but it's not going the way that it should. Come on back. Repent. The Greek word literally means turn around and come back. Now, why would we turn around? Why do we need to come back? What are we coming back to? Oh, I could give you 10,000 reasons. But John and Jesus said, repent, turn around, come on back, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Sometimes you could say it was the kingdom of God. Those two phrases are used synonymously, and they more or less, in my understanding, refer to the breakout of God, the breakthrough of God, his rule, his reign, coming in its fullness on the earth. The kingdom of God is the display of God, the manifestation of God, the expression of God, the experience of God in heaven, but now coming down to earth. It's God in ways you've never, ever experienced him before. Jesus tells us a little bit about what the kingdom is like. Look at Luke 4. Beginning in verse 16, he describes the kingdom of heaven. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, and he read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue, everybody was watching him. 
he began to say to them, today the scripture is fulfilled. You see, the kingdom of heaven is God making things right. It's taking broken things and making them beautiful, taking blind things and helping them to see, taking things that were dead and helping them to have life once again. That's the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, I'm here now, therefore the kingdom of God is now here. And so I think this, this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think it would sound something like this today. Throw a U-turn for me, friend, and come on back because God's about to bust out in this place. Thomas revised the edition, but I think it would sound something like that. Throw a U-turn, my friend, because God is about to bust out in this place. You thought getting ready for the big game was a big deal? You thought getting ready for the big dance was a big deal? You thought preparing the house for the in-laws was big? Sure, do those things, but get ready for God to come. You talk about getting ready for something big about to happen, this is it. You see, you're gonna wanna be ready, Jesus says. You're gonna wanna be in on the action. You're gonna wanna be a part of what God is about to do. So change, come on back. Your life is not going the direction it needs to, come on back. This is not a threat of hell. This is not a punishment. This is not a, a threat of any sort. This is just the opposite. It's an invitation, it's a promise. Come back home. Come back to God. Get back on the road that leads to life and let's do something great together. That's the first sermon Jesus preaches. It reminds me of that great line from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Any Narnia fans? We love that movie. There's one scene, it's the beavers. I love the beavers. I don't know why the beavers excite me. But they're having dinner one night and I know I'm gonna say it wrong, but the beaver looks at the kids and he says, Aslan is on the move. And I remember being in the theater and, and the whole place just kind of went, <gasps> Aslan is on the move. And what was true for the beavers is true for us. I didn't think I'd ever say that in a sermon, but it is. <laughs> Aslan, our God, is on the move. Whether you recognize it or not, whether you see it or not, whether you're participating in it or not, God is on the move, church. And it's important for us to take the blinders off, to take the evening news glasses off, and to see that God is actually on the move. You see, in the expansive growth of Christianity in places like India, Africa, and China, Jesus is becoming Lord of those places. In incredible ways, our God is on the move. You see it in this worship and prayer culture that's coming out of the next generation. Barna says that the, the next generation, the millennials or whatever, are leaving the church. They're not leaving the church. They're praying all night long. They're worshiping in houses of prayer deep in the inner city. The reason they're not taking your study or your survey is because they're too busy praying. The next generation is rising up to take their rightful place because God is on the move. They know it and they see it. You see it in miraculous healings that are more common than you think that we chalk up to medical terms. You care, you see for it in churches that are laying down their differences and their, their petty distinctives and working together to serve their community more effectively. You see God on the move as people who are so far away from God, folks you would never assume would come to faith one day, tell, I'm a Christian, I gave my life to Christ last night. You? You're hellbound and you liked it. You gave yourself to Christ. You see, Aslan is on the move. Our God is on the move. 
And that's what Jesus was trying to say when he began his ministry. Back in the first century, it's still true today. In the 21st century, God is breaking in, breaking through, breaking out in ways we've never seen. And Jesus says, I want you to be a part of it. So come on back. Come back to me. Repent because the kingdom is about to break out in this place. See, the question is, are you ready? Are you ready for this? The big game is tomorrow. The big dance is tonight. The in-laws are coming over in just an hour. Are you ready? Are you prepared? This is the question I want you to think about and reflect on all week long. Does my life, the way that I think, the way that I act, the way I treat others, the way I spend my money, think about your life. Does it show that I'm anticipating the miraculous work of God? Or better yet, does it show that I'm actually participating in the miraculous work of God? Are you ready to move when God moves. Now, when some people hear these words, they honestly take a step back. When I share this with different people, whatever the age, some people think that this invitation doesn't apply to them. They think their life is too messed up. You ever met anybody like that? That they are so far down a certain road that God would possibly, he couldn't possibly allow them to throw a U-turn. A U-turn. They've been addicted too long. They've been into porn for too long. Their marriage has been passionless for too long. They've had fake, surface-level, fickle relationships for too long. That one sin, that one relationship, that one year, that one blunder, whatever it is, it's too big. It's too ugly. It's too sinful. I'm stuck on this road, Thomas. God can't forgive me. I have never seen a U-turn sign and there isn't one on the road that I'm on. Oh, no, no, no. If that describes you, listen to these words from Jesus in John 8. The scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery and when they had set her in his midst, they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't even hear him at all. When they continued asking him, pestering him, he raised himself up and said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, they went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last And then Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in his midst. And Jesus raised himself up and saw that no one was with him but the woman. He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you, she said? No one, Lord. And then Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn. Go and sin no more. There's so much in this sermon, in this little story right here that I wish I could unpack for you. The whole writing on the ground, the different positions of Jesus. But I want to talk about the woman just for a second. She is literally caught in the act of adultery. Now, I'm not sure how you go about doing that or how that happens to you outside of a huge setup. And yet here she is. Chances are she is standing naked before Jesus. Or maybe she was able to grab the bed sheet off of the bed as she's being pulled away by the Pharisees and she's standing. Only thing covering her is this bed sheet. But nothing can cover her sin. Nothing can cover her shame. She's a whore. She's been living a life of lies. She's sleeping with the man who's not her husband. She's completely given into all the temptations we talked about last week that most of us give into as well. And according to the law, she is too far gone. 
She has done something so bad, she deserves to be killed. Her road doesn't have a U-turn sign on it. She can't turn back. She has to go to the end of it, and the end is her death. And in response to all this, in response to the crowds carrying signs, repent or die, in response to people trying to hurt this woman, using her as a puppet, Jesus says the most incredible thing. Please, 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 he says, by all means, throw a stone. As long as you've never made a single mistake in your entire life. As long as you are perfect and holy and have kept the law to every letter, as long as it describes you, be my guest. Here's the craziest thing about this, though. Who actually fulfills those requirements? Who is the one who is holy and perfect and sinless in this story? There's actually one in the story who does and meets those requirements. It's Jesus. Let him who is without uh, sin be the first to throw the stone. Jesus has the right. And yet, guess what he doesn't do? He doesn't throw the stone. He's the only one in the story that doesn't have his hands full of rocks because he doesn't want to hurt this woman. He doesn't want to judge this woman. He wants to invite her back. So she's standing there ashamed, covered in this robe, and he stoops down so that he can't even physically look down on her. He stoops down and he looks up. I don't condemn you. It's okay to throw a U-turn. Come on back. Come on back because God's about to do something in your life that you've never seen before. How different than the repent or burn signs that the crowd brought, right? Jesus says, you, caught in the act, caught in the worst of the worst, those who deserve to die, you come on back home. We've got a three-day weekend. Come on back. This invitation, though, it really, it's not just for the really bad sinners. Some of us, we were born in the pews. It's like adultery. It's like comparing me to an axe murderer. The worst thing I've ever done is say, dang. The opportunity to throw a U-turn still applies to you. Chances are Christians need to throw U-turns just as much as the world does. See, maybe knowing, for you, it's just about knowing God or, or, or coming to church, but, but, but being in love with God, having God go from a part of your life to the essence of your life, that is something completely different. Thinking that God is cool to knowing that God is beautiful is something completely different. Maybe you're going through the motions. Maybe you keep crossing lines you know you shouldn't cross as a Christian. Maybe you can't do the things you want to do as a Christian. And you think, God's just fed up with me. God's probably tired of me. The invitation to turn around and turn back still applies to you. This week, John 21, I want you to go and read it on your own. It's the story of Jesus reinstating Peter. If you know anything about this story, just a few days before this, Peter basically says to Jesus, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't have the faith. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. In his greatest moment of need, Jesus needed Peter to step up. He needed him to stand out, and Peter couldn't do it. When the rest of the culture was going to hell, he wanted Peter to stand up and say, but I believe in Jesus. Just like he's asking some of us, and yet Peter couldn't do it. And if we're honest, some of us can't do it. And yet, here we have in this story, Jesus inviting Peter to throw a U-turn. We have an invitation on Jesus' part to come back. See, three times Peter rejected Jesus, and yet here is Jesus making breakfast for him, 
and three times reinstating him, three times restoring him, three times redeeming him. You can throw a U-turn, Peter. You can throw a U-turn, Peter. And if you want, Peter, you can throw a U-turn. And I think some of us need to hear it three times, don't we? You can throw a U-turn. It's okay. God wants you to come back. You see, I love baseball, but the three strikes you're out rule doesn't apply with Jesus. If you need more strikes, then take them. If you've done 3,000 strikes, it's okay. You're still up to bat. You're still in the game. He still wants you to come back home. He still wants you to come back to him. What was true for the adulterous woman, what he said to Peter, what he said, repent for the kingdom of God, that message, that sermon is the same thing he's trying to say to us. Come back to me because I need you and I want you to be a part of something incredible now and throughout all of eternity. So I love getting ready for Christmas. I don't mind getting the house ready for the in-laws. I know when someone important is coming over, it's, it's good to stand straight, look better. It's good to comb your hair for the first day of school. I get that. But you know what's more important? Change your life for God. Give your life back to God. Come back to him because he has something in store for you that you're gonna want. This morning, we're gonna do something that we did last month. We'll try to do this on a regular basis. I'm gonna ask some of our Stephen ministers to come down front. And if this message resonates with you, if you feel as if you're going down a dead end road, a road leading to your death or your destruction, and you wanna turn around, you wanna turn back, you're just not sure how, the Stephen ministers are here to help you how. They are trained people, uh, trained leaders, uh, not counselors so much, but caregivers, and they are ready to listen to you, pray for you, and help you turn back. So they'll be at the front and in the back. If you want someone to help you throw a U-turn, that's a great place to start. Let me pray for you, and we'll close in a song together this morning. God, what a great God you are. Unlike all other gods that are out there, you give us second chances and third chances, Lord. You invite us back even when we've made a mess of things, even when we don't deserve another chance. Lord, there's three strikes. We're out, game over. And yet here you are again, stooping down to our level, saying, come on back, throw a U-turn. Some of us are on roads that are healthy, and that are good. And I just pray, God, that we would step on the gas if we're on those roads, that we would go faster and further with you and into you than we've ever been before. Would our intimacy increase tenfold with you? But some of us, God, are on roads that are leading to our destruction. And with the words of Jesus, would the red letters of Jesus just resonate deep in our heart this morning? Repent. Throw a U-turn. Stop going down that road and come back. Because you are good you are here, you are in love with us, and you are ready to break out in this place. Help us to believe in that truth and to follow through with it this week if we need to. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.